0: Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7. For the next uh, 10, 15 minutes or so, I want to talk to us uh, about the church in exile, uh, the exile in Babylon. And so Jeremiah is a prophet, and Jeremiah, uh, with uh, God speaking to him, he writes a note to the Israelites who have been captured and sent in exile to Babylon. They are not slaves, and they're not enslaved. They're just living there in exile. They're not in their homeland. And so what Jeremiah does is he actually gives them a letter of encouragement, and it might not be what you think. And here's the basis of this. The reason why I, I just shared all that stuff about our end-of-year reports and who we are as a church and connect with give, all of that revolves around kind of a vision of what we're trying to see happen. For example, our mission never changes, but here's the vision. The vision is for us to be a church filled with people who are actively loving, caring, and reaching people who live right in their own communities. One of the biggest goals and desires and passions I have as your pastor is how do we equip you well and help you not only understand your calling, but live your calling out when it comes to how do I actually just reach my neighbor? Not the church, not not what is the church doing, but what am I doing? How do I reach my employer? How how do I reach my, my coworkers? How do I reach my school and my neighbor? How do I reach the guys I go to the gym with, et cetera, et cetera? Like, what can I do? How do I get an imagination for that? Certainly as a church, we want to do things that we can all be a part of, outreaches, events, ministry opportunities. But the challenge in calling is each one of us as individuals needs to have a calling that stems out of a true passion for the lost, of what is God actually calling me to do? So this whole message, honestly, is getting us to the point for you just to think and have an imagination of what can you do? Not what can the church do, what can you do? And this passage in Jeremiah 29 is a fascinating passage. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Let's talk about this for a few moments. I want to pull out four main things around this passage. The first one is this, is we are all exiles. Everyone in this room should relate to that passage. Every single one in this room is is an exile. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're an exile. Just tell somebody that. Just tell somebody, you're an exile. And here's what I mean by that. This is not your home. This is not your home forever. There is a heaven and an eternity. That is where your home is. I think we get too comfortable with this home. We get too comfortable with making this home our permanent home, yet we have this eternity. Philippians 3:20 says, "But our citizenship is in where? Oh, come on, our citizenship is where? One more time. It's where? Yeah, it's not here. So we're here just waiting for Jesus to come back and transform our bodies into eternity. This is a temporary a snap of the finger, a blink of an eye for all eternity. This is not your home. You're in exile here. First Peter 2.11, it says, I urge you as sojourners, um, foreigners, and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. A reminder that we are not from here. Let's not get too comfortable with what here does. Let's not get too absorbed into this culture and neglect eternity culture. We get so used to this, this world that we get so absorbed and brought into the culture of earth that we forget that there's biblical culture, there's a biblical eternity mindset culture that we should be experiencing now. But we lose sight of that, we lose sight of home. In John 17, 14 to 16, Jesus has given them, said, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Just as I'm not of this world. And here's Jesus' prayer for his disciples and us. Jesus actually says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that's simply you protect them from the evil one while they're in this world. Now why would Jesus say my prayer is not for you to leave this world, but to stay? Why? Here's the answer. We got a job to do, that's why. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are that city on the hill. We are that salt and light in this world. This world needs you, the citizen of heaven, to remind people that this is not their home. So how many of you are not from Raleigh originally, get your hands up real high. Look around the room. You are all foreigners. How many, let me ask another, how many of you are actually from, born and raised in Raleigh? How many of you are like, please get out of my city. Like, get, <laughs> you guys are taking up too much space. You, we have overtaken. How many of you, when you moved here, you had to get adjusted to a few things? Yeah. So I'm from... I'm from the north, the north. <laughs> Sorry. I'm from, Been here 19 years, but I'm born and raised in Niagara Falls, went to school by Philadelphia, Ohio, OH. Thank you. For about 10, 11 years and then came here. And uh, when we moved here, one of, one of the first things my wife said was, how can anybody be depressed here? Now, you got to understand, in Ohio and Niagara Falls, we have what's known as gray season Gray The sky from horizon to horizon From late fall to early spring Is just gray all the time After being here a few days I'm like the, the sky is still blue Like the sun is it's still out And my wife is like How can anybody be sad here I'm like well you know There's other things to be sad about You want me to go there Right Your sports teams That's one of them I mean, there's, there's a couple reasons to be, to be sad. There, there's some reasons to be sad. You know, not everybody can be ranked in the top five every single year. and You know, I, I get that. Yes, it's that time of year. You're going to have to get used to it. Yes. But we, listen, I've told you this before. You cannot boo in church. Uh, I am almost positive that's in Scripture somewhere. I am, I'm pretty sure that's somewhere in the Bible you can't move it. But listen, I say all that to say there are things to get used to when, when, when those of us not from here moved here. One of them, which I actually love, but it, it threw me off, was when I first moved here and I went to the grocery store and people were just like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I, who are you? I don't. And why are you talking to me? Like if you grew up in Niagara Falls where I grew up, your, your typical posture was this everywhere you went. You didn't talk to people. You didn't say hi to people unless you knew them. So the first little bit, now I love it. I'm like, hey, hey, how you doing? We just talked to everybody. I love that about this area, but it's a unique thing. Listen, there, we, we are all, all of us, whether you're from the north, south, east, west. We have people, how many of you are from another country in here? This is always amazing. There's a lot of people where you're from another country that have moved here, planted here, and it's amazing. It's what I love about this church, by the way, the diversity, not just, uh, not just racially, not just economically, but just where we're from all over the world. And we all have our stuff. We all have the things we're used to. You know, I have the things that that are home to us. There's things that I miss about home still. Not a lot, but there's some things that I miss about home. And there's certain things that you just kind of long for of of home. And I'm just saying that we should have that same thing for heaven. That even though we've not been there yet, we've tasted it. You've you've tasted eternity through your relationship with Jesus. Jesus. You've you've gotten glimpse of heaven on earth through the Holy Spirit and, and you've seen the goodness of God and there should be some longing in our heart of home. Ecclesiastes says that everyone is born with eternity in their heart. There's a longing that everybody has for what's next. There's a desire that this is more, there's more to life than right here. And Jeremiah is simply sending a letter to the exiles. And this is what he's basically saying. I'll give you kind of the Andy version. He's basically saying, hey, you know what? Deal with it. That's where you are. Deal with it. You might not like it. You might hate where you live. You might not like your neighbors. You might not like your boss. But that's where you are. So deal with it. And not only deal with it, not only make the most of it, but Jeremiah is telling them you can thrive there, you can make a difference there. It's the reality of their exile. Now, the ironic thing is that they actually were told to thrive in Babylon. It's the reality of their exile. Again, what, what he told them was like, hey, you're, you're there, so make the most of it. We're here, we might as well win. We're here, we might as well build houses and plant gardens and marry and have kids and pray for the welfare of the city and do all these things and make an impact where we are. That's a very surprising command, by the way. You would have thought that God would have told them, hey, rise up against your oppressors. Rise up against the community. Rise up against the false god. Rise up against the the cultural battles and fight. No, he doesn't say that. He actually says, become a model citizen. Plant, build, reproduce. Make an impact where you are. That probably came a little bit disheartening, I would imagine. I imagine it was a little disheartening whenever they got this note from Jeremiah and, and they were opening and reading it, they were probably hoping That Jeremiah was saying, hey, fight the power up there. Hold strong. You're coming home soon. No, instead he's like, listen, you're going to be there for a while. In fact, you're going to be there so long that your kids will actually marry and have kids. You're going to be there for a long time. And I know it's not your home. Don't complain. Don't whine about it. Don't isolate yourself. Instead, make a difference. I love that message for the church, by the way. I love that message for us. In the midst of this, in the midst of this confusion and potential despair, God gave them a calling. He gave them an opportunity. We can look at our situation, whether you want to call it Babylon or just your employer, just your job. But all of us have an opportunity, whether it's in your job, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your community, where you shop, all these different areas of life, You and I have a choice that we could say, you know what, I'm here, I'm living here. Whether you like Raleigh or not, this is where you are. You're here. Whether you're going to be here for 10, 20, 50 years or just another year or another month, you're here. So what would happen if we as followers of Christ said, you know what, we're here. Let's start to make the most of it. Let's start to make the biggest impact in our city for Christ that we can make. And that's what he's reminding them to do. You can actually thrive there. By thriving, he told them to build and to plant. Build and plant while you're there. He encouraged them to settle down, build homes, plant gardens. What this implies is permanency, care. It was telling them to get rooted where you are. Become neighbors. It's investing in relationships, investing in the workplace, in our community. Even if they feel foreign, even if they feel like a little bit outsider, even if they feel like they're uncomfortable, what he was telling them to do is, listen, do life together. Do life together up there. Look forward to a future. Look forward to making your community better. It represented hope, doesn't it? See, even though on one hand it was probably a little frustrating, you're not coming home, on the other hand he was saying, but there's hope. Because even in a foreign land, even where this isn't your ultimate home, you can still have hope. And you have it through your family. You have it through your community. You have it by doing life together. You have it by finding your people together. And enduring and thriving, not just, not just surviving, by the way. Uh, Jeremiah, through the Lord, didn't just tell them, hey, just survive one more day. No, he actually told them to thrive there. Grow and plant, build stuff, invest, get rooted. And then something amazing happens. He tells them to seek the welfare for the city. If you have one big takeaway from this morning's message, I hope this is the one. Because again, in a little bit of a twist of probably what they thought, God, through Jeremiah, told them to seek the welfare for the city. In other words, your desire should be for your city to be blessed. Your desire is for your city to prosper. And he took it even further and said, you should be praying for the welfare of your city. You should contribute positively to this community. Make the difference in it. Be the salt Be the light. Be a difference maker. Be transformative in your community. But your hope and your desire should be that your community gets better, not worse. And how do they do this? It's my last thing I'm going to say about this. Again, this is a a snapshot. We're going to expand on this more throughout the year. It's praying and blessing. They were called to pray and bless their city. They were called to be intercessory prayer people. That God called them to pray for their captors, actually. He called them to pray for the betterment of their society. See, our prayers for our community, for our leaders, even those who might oppose us, oppose us, could be transformational. It could change everything. In Matthew 5, 43, it says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the early believer, the early Old Testament-minded follower of God in Israel would have thought, love the people who love you and it's okay to hate your neighbor. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he changes it. Jesus comes on the scene and says, But I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. What a different mindset that is. What if our mindset, again, as not just as a church but individuals, what if your mindset, instead of cursing your boss and cursing out your coworkers and thinking the worst of them, what if you actually prayed for God to bless them? Just think about that for a moment. That's a powerful prayer. It's a very unselfish, very loving prayer. God, I pray you bless them. I pray you bless my neighbors. In Luke 6, 27 to 28, it says, but I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Again, how different is that even from our own culture? Our own culture would say, if somebody does you wrong, do them wrong. Our own culture says, stand up and, And fight violence with violence and get revenge on people. That's even our own culture now. But here's Jesus saying no, no, it's different when you think kingdom minded. It's different when you think blessing. It's different when you think the way of heaven because the way of heaven is to actually bless your enemy, actually bless them. Other versions, other variations in scripture says to serve them, speak kindness to them, love them, and ultimately pray for them. And here's what God did to the Israelites, which I believe is for us. God in his wisdom ties the Israelites' welfare to the welfare of the city. In other words, what God is reminding them, hey, when you you plant there and root there, when you invest in your community and you make your community better and your community prospers, you're gonna prosper. He ties their blessing, their welfare, to the welfare of the city. When he says to seek the welfare, that's the... Hebrew terminology, which it's a word that probably almost everybody here knows, is the word shalom. That's what he was actually telling them. Pray for the shalom, the peace of the city. Uh, pray for safety, security, welfare, prosperity. That, that's what that terminology is meaning. It's not just pray that God will get them or pray that something would happen to them or pray that God moves them on. It's actually, no, I'm going to pray for you to be blessed. I'm going to pray for the peace of God to come into our city. I'm going to pray for the security and the hand of God to move in our city. Over the last um, several months, especially, uh, my son moved downtown Raleigh. He's in here somewhere. He lives in downtown Raleigh, and I love downtown Raleigh. And it gives me an excuse to drive from where I live up in Heritage to go downtown and spend time downtown. And I tell you, I love our city. I love our city. every time I see the skyline. Every time I, I drive from there to here and here downtown and all around, uh, I just I love our city. And and God's been doing a work in my heart based off of this verse to say, as I drive around, as I shop, as I play, as I work, to pray for the blessing for my city. Now, it doesn't mean that we remain silent on cultural things. It doesn't mean we don't stand our ground. It doesn't mean that the church should not speak out. We should definitely be speaking out over certain things in our culture and society. So it doesn't mean let's become passive and and just pray for our city. What it means is that we can also pray for our city. We can still hold our ground, still speak truth, still live upright citizens, uh, citizens as if in heaven here on earth. We can still do all that. But at the same time, just pray for our city. Because if God blesses our city, this church is going to get blessed. You're going to get blessed. Blessings don't always look the way we think they're going to look for sure, but there's an opportunity you and I have. So as, as I bring this to a close and, and direct this to a final thought that we're going to spend time on this morning, you know, when you think about Babylon, and this Macedonian city, right? It's not a Christian culture, it wasn't a they weren't following the God of, of the Hebrews, they had pagan gods and all these things. But think about your Babylon for a moment. What's your Babylon? It might be your job, it might be your neighborhood, it might be your school where you attend, it might be where you go shopping or go play. We all have these areas in our life that are difficult. It Can be a difficult neighbor difficult boss, difficult friends at school. And this world, probably just like the Israelites, uh, I know this is a rhetorical question, but we can all agree, this world is getting more and more foreign, isn't it? It is getting alien to the strangest degree. As you, every, time, every, every time I turn the news on, I think, surely I'm not going to see anything that, that I haven't And I'm like, oh, no, nope, there it is. The get—could we just say it's getting weird out there? It's it's really really weird. It's strange, and we are definitely foreign and aliens on this planet versus eternity in heaven. And as we process that, as we think through that, as this increasingly becomes more and more alien to us, what if we also found our welfare by becoming God's agents of grace and transformative thinking in our community? What if we actually assume that it's our role as individuals? to take Jesus wherever we go in our community, to be salt, to be light. When you think about loving your community or loving your zip code, what it really is, it's embracing your role within your community. That's what that means. We talk about how do we make an impact in a community or a zip code or a job. The way we do that is not just for the church to have events. We love events. It's not just for the church to have Sunday mornings. I love our Sunday morning time. It's for you to have the imagination of what God can do through you in your community. That's the hope of this. Investing, praying, finding that our welfare is tied to the welfare of our community by maintaining our biblical cornerstone, our biblical foundation. With that, there's a contemplative question. So we're going to end this morning uh, a little different. We got plenty of time. Um, but we're going to end this morning with a contemplative question because uh, this this type of message can go 10 different ways and you can be sitting here and, and I hope by now you understand yeah, you can, we can all agree we're all exiles. Like we're not from here. This isn't our home. We're going to eternity somewhere. It's either heaven or hell but we're, we're going somewhere for eternity. This is not our long home. Okay, I get it. While we're here, let's make the most of it. Okay, I got it. You know, stop complaining. Stop whining. You know, Pull your end of the deal, pray for the welfare of the city, right? We, we got that. That's pretty straightforward. But I want you to make it personal with this, with this question. Here's the question. What is just one thing, just one thing that you can do to actively love and serve your community? Just one thing. Now, I don't want this one thing just to be things that you just think of, because when I ask that question you can say, well here's ten different things I could do. What I'm really asking is, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? What's one thing that God's putting on your heart even right now that you can do starting today to actively love and serve your community? And your community, it's your job, it's your neighborhood, it's your school, it's where you go to the gym, it's your hobbies, it's where you shop, like that, that's your community. What's one thing that you can do that God is just spurring in your heart to do? We're here, let's make the most of it. We're here, let's make a massive, god size impact in the triangle. Let's see the culture change, not just because of a great church trying to change it, but because of the people within the church that are all starting to change it.